Upon leaving the pastorate, a man once said, in the eyes of some, you aren't a human anymore when you become an elder or pastor in the church. You are a thing, a thing that is there to baptize them, bless them, pray for them, and serve them. But if you cross them, fail them, or fall short for them, they will leave you to go find another thing. No one goes to the doctor because they care how the doctor feels. They go to the doctor to get better, and once they are, they will have no use for the doctor. The risk of being a leader in a church is high, probably too high. As evidenced by the number of men who are leaving the pastorate each year, it is a hard job of beatings and bruisings. But it is also a hard job of blessings if the people of the church, leaders and members, would work together for the glory of God and the good of God's people. There's a unique participation in the Lord's plan for those whom the Lord has called to serve him in this way. It is an extraordinary calling from an extraordinary God. This morning, we look forward into our text at the significance of that call. And so I invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 3. And I want to bring to you the continuation, the second part of the message that I've titled, Mastery, the Noble Call of Leadership. As always, I ask those of you who are able to please stand for the reading of God's word. First Timothy chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. You may be seated. The call to be a leader is an extraordinary call from an extraordinary God. I think that's worth repeating again, that the call to leadership and the call to be a leader is an extraordinary call from an extraordinary God. Because of the qualifications it requires, not everyone can be called. Because of the work it requires, not everyone will be called. And because of the commitment it requires, not everyone should be called. But those who are legitimately called by the Lord, they're part of something uniquely special. They are tasked with a special role in the Lord's plan, placed into a position of privilege, not because they are so remarkable, but because the one they serve, God, is so remarkable. That's part of what makes the role of overseer or elder or pastor so special. They are but ordinary people. When the world seeks to fill a position, particularly in leadership, they will do so by seeking the best of the best. But when the Lord fills a position in leadership, he does so 
with ordinary men. And yet the work itself is anything but ordinary. In any other institution, you will find a work nothing like what you find with eldership. It calls on men to care for people, but not physically. They care for people spiritually. Therefore, overseers attend to the deepest needs of the people, giving them care, counsel, and compassion in a way that the world cannot offer it. Because of the uniqueness of the call last week, we learned four things about the call of leadership. You'll see them in your bulletin. First, the call to leadership is significant. It is an important work because it calls upon ordinary men to deal with ordinary sin by directing people to an extraordinary God. Second, the call to leadership is specific. Not everyone is called, and not everyone is qualified to be called. The Lord places limitations on those who can serve in leadership. Third, the call to leadership is serious. To be in leadership is to bury work that is very weighty. It comes with the responsibility, again, of caring for people. This is not like caring for the goldfish that you want at the fair, that if it dies, you flush it down the toilet. It is caring for humans who, when they die, they will find themselves standing before their creator. And finally, the call of leadership is special. It is special because of what the work is. It is called noble or good by our text because it serves a noble God. But if you were paying attention last week, you will notice that that last and fifth point was left blank on our outline. Time cut short, the time of discussing the very last word of 1 Timothy 3.1, which is what? If you look at your text, it says task or word, work, depending on which version you're using. The call of a leader is described as a good work. And that leads us to the last point, that the call to leadership is substantial. The call to leadership is substantial. Because the call to be a leader is an extraordinary call from an extraordinary God, it is a substantial call. It requires work. The one called the leadership is given a call that demands of that person a wholehearted commitment, a willingness to expend oneself for the totality of others. It is a call that leaves no room for one's personal comforts, one's personal ambitions, or one's personal preferences, or even one's personal hindrances. The one called to leadership must be able and willing to set himself completely aside for the sake of seeking the Lord's will for the Lord's people. The word work used in our text, it is the same word that Paul uses when addressing the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 3. There he actually talks about judgment. And so he tells the Corinthians, For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest. For the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work 
is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Like everyone, leaders will stand before the Lord to receive judgment for their work, not judgment about whether or not they deserve a place or position in heaven that was secured for them on the cross. But they will be judged by their faithfulness to the Lord's work here on earth. And based on that judgment, they will receive their just rewards. For those who will willingly accept the call to leadership, included in that judgment then about their work is their labor and their toil as an overseer. If leaders are to stand judgment for their work as a leader, then they must know what that work is. What is it that they're being called to do? And so this morning, as we look at the substantial call to leadership, I want you to know six tasks or six duties or six functions of the call to leadership. Six aspects of that work. The first duty is the one called to leadership is called to feed the sheep. The call to feed the sheep. Turn with me to the book of John. John chapter 21. The Gospel of John, chapter 1, 21, and I want us to look at a very well-known exchange between Peter and Jesus. John, chapter 1. Beginning in verse 12, we read this exchange. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so would the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to them, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And so Jesus said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. This is just prior to his ascension and yet after Christ's resurrection. And what Jesus is doing is beginning to make plans for the future of the church. And in his absence, Jesus delegates responsibility to the disciples. If we continued reading in John and then into the book of Acts, what we will see is that the primary responsibility and leadership will fall to Peter. But he doesn't serve alone. He serves with the others. This is Christ's most treasured possession bought with his blood and now he's entrusting it to the care of peter and the other disciples and his first instruction he gives is feed my sheep how are the sheep fed 
in his encounter with Satan before the start of his public ministry. Jesus withstands Satan's solicitations with the words, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so when he tells Peter to feed his sheep, Jesus isn't literally meaning to literally feed them, but to place before them something that is far more nourishing, the word of God. The elder's assignment is to feed the sheep by serving God's truth, the very thing they need for all that they will encounter in life. They do this in a variety of ways. The most obvious is the form of teaching. We know that because it's a qualification in the next verses in our text in 1 Timothy. They would hardly be listed as a necessary skill for leadership if they were not expected to utilize that skill. But they're also called to feed the sheep through preaching. With their title as pastor, they feed the, teach, they feed the sheep through preaching. And with the title of teacher, they feed the sheep through teaching. Ultimately, what they're doing is they're feeding the lambs by making disciples, as they're called to do and as every believer is called. As the chief shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ modeled that in his ministry. And then he delegated that same task to the next generation of leaders before he ascended to his throne in heaven. It is a burden of leaders to feed the sheep. Notice in John 21, 15, Jesus first calls people lambs, indicating their immaturity and need of nourishment to grow. They are but babes. And then later in verses 16 and 17, then he calls them sheep. Sheep are known to be prone to wander, to get themselves in life-threatening situations. They are in constant need of care from someone who will tend to their needs at the cost of his own sleep, his own comfort, and, and perhaps even his own life. He must lead them to their green pastures so that they may eat. He can't lead them to a desolate patch and then expect them to be filled. They must be fed with food that is full of the nutrition that will sustain them for what they need. Today, the church is given a diet of cultural creeds, secular counsel, and lifestyle coaching. These are the equivalent of just spiritual junk food. They're the chips and the cookies and the candies that we get just for the sake of convenience. And so as the church wastes away, languishing on junk food, what they need is the meat and the, the potatoes of the word of God. And so the call to leadership is a call to feed the sheep. I want you to note second, that a call to leadership is a call to visit the sheep. One of the tasks delegated to elders is to visit the sheep. James chapter 1 describes religion this way. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. To visit the orphanos and the widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. The widow and the orphan, they represent the most vulnerable, the most exploited of society in that day. To care for them is to care for those who are the most defenseless. Psalm 68.5, sorry. The Lord describes himself as the father of the fatherless and the protector of the widows. And then he delegates and charges any person who calls themselves a follower of Christ to care for them. 
He may be the father of the orphans and the protector of the widows, but then he delegates that to all believers through James 1.27. Whether one is part of leadership or not, visiting is part of God's caring for his people. But as one's charged to care for his people, leaders especially have this responsibility. They set the standard. James pictures elders more specifically, fulfilling that role at the end of, of his epistle, James chapter 5, verses 13 and 14. <clears throat> Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray for him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Like doctors used to do, elders are called to make house calls to care for the people. But again, not just for physical illness, but in spiritual sickness as well. The call to visit is critical to the other aspects of an elder's role. The ability to pray, the ability to shepherd the people of the church implies that leaders know the people of the church and understand what is going on in their lives. Elders visiting their people as a means to facilitate their other roles, able to meet the needs of the people entrusted in the care. They visit them by learning exactly what those needs are, able to come alongside them in a meaningful way. It is in those times together when true connections are made and then true compassion is nurtured. Such a visit comes at a cost because it means leadership has to sacrifice their own time, maybe giving up something they wanted to do for the sake of being there for the people. It also means that a leader must give up their own comfort and convenience. Sometimes it's just uncomfortable to visit people. Even more, if they're facing a significant trial, we may not know what to say or what to do, how to react, how to help. And so it becomes uncomfortable but in fulfilling the call to love one another, visiting the, with those entrusted into the care is both an expression of love, but it also aids love by helping leaders to understand how to meet their people's needs. The call to leadership is a call to feed the sheep, and it's a call to visit the sheep. I want you to know third that the call to leadership as a call to pray for the sheep. Prayer is one of the greatest offerings of our Lord. It's one of the greatest gifts that the Lord gives his people. By giving each person the grace of prayer, the Lord has given the gift of himself. By it, God has granted access to himself so that the Christian life is not lived alone, but alongside him. Because of what it is, a gift of himself, a lack of prayer then, is a lack of relationship with the Lord. Prayer is a unique gift that only the Lord can give. Nobody else can meet your salvation. Nobody else can meet the needs of your relationship. And nobody else can meet your sanctification by giving you the gift of praying to them. That would be a false teacher. But the Lord can and so when we underutilize the discipline of prayer, we miss the opportunity to know our Lord in a more intimate way. Elders are given the special task to pray for their people. And when we read from James 5.14 just now, did you notice what the elders were called to do? Is anyone among you sick? 
let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over them. They're called upon not to provide a diagnosis, not to provide healing, but to do the one thing that leaders can do, pray. This is but just one application of prayer, to pray for people when they're sick. That's just one way that leaders support their people in prayer. But according to 1 Thessalonians 5.17, people are called to pray at all times. So elders have the special ministry of praying for their people they steward on behalf of the Lord. They do this by praying for the sick, James 5.14. With Galatians 6.1 through 2, prayer is a means by which elders then can carry the burdens of the people. And with the last chapter we had looked at in 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 2, we see that the leadership sets the tone of prayer, being examples of prayer for the church, praying all things for all people, according to verse 1, that reads, First of all, then I urge supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. Remember this is speaking of leadership, because then we read in verse 8, I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or quarreling. Leaders not only pray, but they lead others in prayer, too. Elders are in a unique position, able to pray for the people of the church in a way that not everyone is able to. What was the last point? That the call to leadership is a call to visit the sheep. This makes elders privy to information and some of the most intimate details of people's lives. They're entrusted with guarding the private battles that people are facing. But that information comes with a responsibility, a responsibility to lift their people up in prayer and labor for them in an intense and very intentional way. Paul himself exemplifies the toil that prayer requires. We see it in his relationship with the other churches. To the Ephesians, he writes in chapter 1, 15 and 16, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers to the Thessalonians. To this end, we always pray for you, that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power. And then to the Colossians. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Notice the labor, the work, the toil that Paul puts into his prayer life on behalf of others. And those are just but a few examples of how Paul prays for people. To pray for their people is not just a leader's responsibility, it becomes his delight. The elder has a privilege of caring for people, to intercede for them, to bring them before the Lord. Ian Bounds, known for his teachings on prayer, writes, Talking to men for God is a great thing, but talking to God for men is greater still. If prayer is the least we can do for people, then let the elder lead us people first by at least praying for them. There's no greater responsibility, no greater privilege, no greater love than the one who sacrifices himself in prayer for the sanctification of the people that have been sovereignly placed into their care. And just as 1 Timothy 2.8 
says that leaders set an example in prayer, Peter actually expands that responsibility. Peter writes, 1 Peter 5, 2 and 3, Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have for you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. With those words of 1 Peter 5, 2 and 3, I want you to note forth that the call to leadership is a call to set an example for the sheep. It is often said that people learn more by what is caught than what is taught. And it is the responsibility then of the elders to model the Lord's teaching to the rest of the body of Christ. When Naomi was hospitalized at 10 days old, came away with stories that would make you appalled that medical professionals could act the way they did. After one such horrible interaction, I told Bethany, there's a reason these doctors act this way. It's because the leadership acts this way. At one point, she tried to reach out to the leadership just a few days later, and she returned saying, you were right, because the leaders were just as awful to her as the rest of the staff was to her. The leaders had set the standard for the rest of the hospital, and it just points to a reality, not true just in healthcare, but true in business, true in family, and, and true even in the church, that people will look like leadership. Therefore, Peter writes for leaders to be an example to the people, living out God's revealed will so that people in following them will also live out God's revealed will. Apostle Paul exemplifies this reality when he writes to the Corinthians, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. By their example, leaders should direct people towards Christ. As leaders responsible for oversight of the church, they cannot expect others to obey the Lord if they themselves cannot obey the Lord. At the same time, if it were necessary, it also means they have no recourse for church discipline. If they themselves aren't following the Lord, how can they expect others to? And how can you place somebody under discipline? To Titus, then, Paul writes in his letter in chapter 2, verse 7, Show yourself in all respects to be a model, set an example, to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity. Leadership is burdened with the task of setting an example. More specifically, they are to be models of holiness. It was Robert Murray McShane who said, My people's greatest need is my personal holiness. The greatest need for the people in the pews is holiness in the pulpit. And the greatest urgency of the people in the church is to see holiness from the leaders of the church. Those who guard the purity of the church have an obligation to model that purity. Those responsible for guiding the church towards holiness have a responsibility to walk in holiness themselves. But amidst that obligation and amidst that responsibility comes something else. Opportunity. In the call for elders to set an example, those called to eldership have been given an opportunity, and it's an opportunity to reflect their Savior. Their example is meant to point people towards their Lord. 
by their Christ-likeness, they can lead others to be like Christ. Appreciate the words of Mark Dever and Paul Alexander. They say, godly elders' humility makes them difficult to offend. And godly elders' holiness makes them easy to trust. The call to leadership is to set an example for the church. I want you to note fifth. The call to leadership is a call to protect the sheep. The picture is always given of the sheep and their shepherd, in which a shepherd cares for the sheep by leading them towards their source for food and water, leading them to what they need to sustain them. But there's a protective element in that example as well. By day, the shepherd protects the sheep from getting themselves into dangerous situations, falling on their back or into a ditch and dying. And by night, he leads them, not only into the safety of the sheepfold, but he acts as a watchman against anything sinister that might seek to devour them, like wolves on the hunt for prey. The shepherd is first to respond to protect them. Remember last week, in the era in which Paul writes and persecution running rampant, One of the things that elders may be called upon is to physically give their lives to protect the church. When persecution is coming at the church, they're the ones that first set up. But we see this further, not just physically, but we see a a spiritual protection as well. In his exhortation to the Ephesian elders, before he departs, Paul tells them to protect the sheep. Acts chapter 20 that we read this morning, verses 28 through 31. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. Because of sin in the world, there are always those who will seek to deceive people and turn them away from the Lord. Paul does not need a psychology degree or a sociology degree to know how people will act. Neither does he need to be a fortune teller to know what the future holds. God's word is sufficient enough to reveal the human nature. And so he makes reasonable conclusions from God's word, telling them exactly what's going to happen. And he issues then very wisely this guidance. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples. Therefore, be alert. Remember that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And yet here we are in 1 Timothy just a few years later, still in Ephesus. And the situation now is so dire that it now requires outside help. Timothy is left behind to clean up the mess that comes from the false teaching that they were supposed to guard against. Leadership is an exercise in discernment. The sheep are precious in his sight, and to provide for their protection, the Lord has called men to be overseers, 
to provide oversight of the church. They have been given the serious charge of protecting the flock. This draws our attention again to that qualification in the next verse that says they must be able to teach. Elders are teachers, and as teachers, that's a means of protecting the church. Being able to teach means not only then that they teach truth, but it means they know it so sufficiently enough that they can guard against false teaching, something we'll see more of in the upcoming weeks. Protecting the sheep also means that they lead with discernment. It means they have the ability to consider potential outcomes of their decisions. And they will consult the counsel of God's word, wisely weighing their decisions in light of their call to protect the body of Christ. It also means that leaders will not only lead with discernment, but they will lead people in discernment as well. And what I mean by that is that they will teach the rest of the flock how to be discerning. Discerning godly truth from worldly untruth. The elders help the people to be prepared, able to withstand the dangers that lurk around. So the call to leadership is a call to protect the sheep. Finally, I want you to note that the call to leadership is a call to shepherd the sheep. The call to shepherd is a sobering part of the leader's call perhaps the most important aspect of the leader's call. Jesus himself shows how crucial he sees the call to shepherd in Matthew 9. A lot happens in Matthew 9. Jesus calls Matthew there. He teaches the disciples quite a bit. And throughout much of that chapter, we see a whole bunch of different healings that Jesus does. But then we come to the end of that chapter Matthew chapter 9, and it says, beginning in verse 35, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers, into his harvest. Did you catch what was said there? Most often we're, we're focused on that last phrase, the harvest is plentiful but the laborers are few and so we should pray for laborers. But what happened right before that? They lacked a shepherd and their lack of a shepherd causes grief to Christ to the point that it says it moves him to compassion. Many want to be a leader, but not many want to be a shepherd. And yet it is the most common aspect of leadership that is described and discussed in Scripture. If you were paying attention, you would have noticed that in the last two proof texts of those previous two points, shepherding came up in each one of those. When we read of the elders' call to set an example in 1 Peter 5, 2 through 3, it began with Peter saying, Shepherd the flock of God that is among you exercising oversight. And then again, exhorting the Ephesian elders to protect the flock, what preceded it in verse 28. Pay careful attention to yourselves and all the flock. There's imagery of shepherding. In which the Holy Spirit has made you shepherds to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. The call to eldership is a call to shepherd the people. 
To neglect this part is to neglect the most critical part of the Lord's call because every other aspect we've just discussed leads into this, to shepherd the flock. Feeding the sheep, visiting the sheep, praying for the sheep, setting an example for the sheep, protecting the sheep, all of them are bound together in this one call to shepherd the flock. Shepherding people is demonstrated in four ways. First, by providing counsel to the sheep or leading them with and in discernment, as we talked about in the previous point. Two weeks ago, in starting our Wednesday night series, we began by reviewing the reality that we're all sinners, discussing the fact that from Ephesians 5, we can grieve the Holy Spirit. And according to Romans 1, because we're sinners, we can suppress the truth. And 1 Timothy 4.2, that we'll get to eventually in our study of 1 Timothy, tells us that we can sear our consciences. In light of that, and, and faced with unique circumstances, we may not know at times whether we're responding in godliness or selfishness. We may not know if we're being led by the Spirit or by the self. And so in repeated places in Proverbs, multiple times it's written that a truly wise person will seek godly counsel. In looking for wise counsel, the people often turn to the leaders who are supposed to have that wise counsel as part of their role as shepherds. But wise counsel also comes with compassion. A person's sin will bring them to complicated and distressing situations. And to come alongside people in those times requires compassion on people. This is a source of mercy that Paul imparts to Timothy in his introduction. If you remember all the way back to April, when we started going through 1 Timothy, and, and Timothy, or Paul writes to Timothy, grace and mercy and peace from God the Father. That word mercy is a compassion on someone for the consequences they are experiencing from sin. In those moments, they need correction from compassion, not correction from condemnation, which is the third aspect of being a shepherd. A shepherd offers correction to the sheep. This is just a form of protection to keep the sheep from going astray, from wandering into danger or to become harmed. The shepherd doesn't pick and choose the sheep he corrects, but in compassion on them all, and wanting to train them all, he provides correction equally to all according to their tendency to wander. And finally, the shepherd provides care for the sheep. He cares for their needs, mostly by directing them towards the chief shepherd, since they're really just under shepherds. So shepherds give counsel, compassion, correction, and care to people. I've titled this sermon, Mastery, the Noble Call of Leadership. I was called the leadership, whatever title you use, elders, pastors, overseers. They're called to a task of mastery over the church. But hopefully what you've learned in this week and last is that mastery over the church, exercising authority over the church, is not the world's definition, which means something tyrannical or domineering but the picture of leadership given by the whole counsel of God's word is not oppressive and autocratic regimes. It's a leadership motivated by compassion, manifested by care, and modeled by Christ. 
Thus the call is to feed the sheep, visit the sheep, pray for the sheep, set an example for the sheep, protect the sheep, and shepherd the sheep. These aren't passive tasks. True service for the Lord requires true work. And that's how it's described in 1 Timothy 3.1. Paul calls it a, a noble or good work. It's not a task of idleness, but a labor of toil and effort. The role of the church leader is to contend with the sins of society and the solicitations of Satan. They deal with the pride of people and the condemnation from the culture. The weight of this work speaks to the worth and cost of the people. If the people were of little value, they would only need little effort expended towards them. But the immense work required of those called to lead, it represents the immense worth that they have before the Lord. And the immense work of those called to lead represents the immense cost that Christ paid for their redemption, which ultimately tells us something about leaders. Christ paid the cost, not men. That means by his work, he has paid for them. The people belong to the Lord, not to the church, not to the leaders. That means by accepting the call to leadership, they're accepting a call to stewardship. Eldership is a position of stewardship in which they're stewarding the Lord's greatest possession by shepherding them. The call to be a leader is an extraordinary call from an extraordinary God, and so it requires an extraordinary work. Let's pray. Father God, in your sovereign design and sovereign plan, Lord, your perfect plan, Father, you have orchestrated how you care for the sheep, how you care for those who call upon your son. And Father, you've chosen to do that through the body of Christ, calling up men to lead, Lord. Father, may we see the seriousness of that role and understand the task that is placed before us. May we recognize this indeed as your perfect will, your perfect revealed will, Lord. And in honoring you, may we seek to serve people by serving you in that way. So, Father, may we leave here thinking and dwelling deeply on that last word that you've inspired Paul to write, a noble work. We thank you for, for providing and caring for us, and we thank you that you've chosen to do so in this way, Lord. And so may we recognize it as a gift from you. It is in your holy and precious name we pray. Amen.